ahead and be turning back to 1 John chapter 2. Go ahead and pray. I'm going to go ahead and pray. I know I just told you to start turning. I decided I'm going to pray. So you can pause on turning. I'm going to pray. And then you can finish turning. Let's pray real quick. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, both those songs that are just so saturated with the gospel, the truth of what it is that you have done to save us, uh, and that we get to look forward to your return uh, with eager anticipation, knowing that you will come back in, in, in full display of your glory in great victory, conquering all of sin and death. And, and we get to be with you forever. Um, and I just, I just thank you that, that we get to remind ourselves of this truth over and over and over again in the songs that we sing and in the words that we read in your scripture. And God, I just pray that you would elevate the words of scripture um, so highly that, we would, that we, would, we would be able to trust that, that these words really are truth and that they would be things that, that define who we are and how we live our lives and all of this. And God, I just pray that we would be so amazed that you have saved us, uh, that we would not doubt what it is that you have done in our lives, no matter what it is that we face, and no matter what ways uh, your word might be challenged in our culture and in the lives of the people around us, but that we would, we would hold fast and, 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 and hold on tightly to your word and trust you um, with everything. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Sorry, you can go ahead and continue turning to 1 John chapter 2 now. We're going to be in verse 18, we're going to start in verse 18 today. Um, we're going to talk about a couple of different things, but the, the big idea that we're going to end up with is we're going to end up talking about this idea of perseverance or endurance or, or, or finishing something. Um, and I was trying to think through, you know, what are all the analogies that we could use? Well, the one that, the, and the Bible even goes to, to running a race a lot, and it's like, well, we could, we could talk about running, but... But if you ask me how I feel currently, my relationship with running is we don't have a relationship right now. Like I was running really, really well a lot for like over a year and a half or something like that. We were doing really well. I, I ran a couple of races. I was, was doing okay, feeling good. Like my relationship with running was good. But then Thanksgiving came last year and I ate a lot of turkey and I haven't, I haven't run since really. So, so running and I aren't really friends. So that's not the right intro. That's not going to connect well with me. And for those of you who don't run, you'd be like, I don't run. So this doesn't mean much to me. So, so this one might not connect well with you. But, but for me, parenting is also something that takes a lot of endurance. Um, I, I, I've started likening parenting to playing a video game, where at different stages of parenting, there are different mini-bosses that you have to beat. Like, the, 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 first, the first mini-boss is, like, sleeping through the night. The second mini-boss may be not, like, peeing on you when you change the diapers, or, like, you know. And so now, like, where Ellie's, you know, almost through kindergarten, that, that was a mini-boss, like, like, getting her successfully to elementary school, that one, that one was a challenge. Like right now, the one that I'm fighting through is like, can you please just learn to wash your own hair? That's the one. If we could get to where you could wash your own hair, that would be so cool. Because you can brush your teeth now. That's great. You can go to the bathroom, and I can trust that everything's going to come out all right. Like, like all of that, all of that is true of you at this point. But like there are all of these stages, and, and at each stage, there always comes this point where it's like, we might never get to this point. I might have to be helping you figure out how to shower for the rest of your life. And that's going to get really uncomfortable for you when you're in middle school. Right? Times three. Right? You feel this. Right? But, 
But if, if you are a parent, and if you are committed to parenting and, and loving the kids that God has put in your house, however many of them, and however many little mini-bosses you have to defeat along the way, if you are committed to this, if you really are a parent, you're not going to just stop. Like, I can't call myself a runner. I'm not a runner. I'm a quitter. I tried running. It didn't work out so well. I quit. The, the fact that I am no longer running is proof to you that I am not a runner. I cannot claim to be a runner. I can claim to be an eater. I can claim to be a sleeper. I can claim to be lots of things, but runner is not one. Parent is one. I'm in that. That is something that I haven't given up on. That is not something that I have quit. And one of the things that we're going to end up talking about today is if you are in Christ, you will persevere. You will continue to be in Christ. It's a reflection of whether or not you are actually in Christ. So kind of what, I don't know what, what your thing is that you continue in or you struggle to continue in or you're tempted to quit on. But whatever that is, let that, that thing that you are thinking of that is true of your life, that is hard for you to to want to endure through. Let that be continuing to be in your mind as we continue to read through our verses today. It's going to be a bit till we get to the idea of endurance, but I want that to be, be on our hearts, in our minds, as we're kind of going through this today. Because, because for us, as the church, again, we're, we're in this whole letter, John's whole purpose is to encourage the church and say, here, I want you to feel confident that you are actually saved. So as he's saying all these things, if you're saved, it's going to look like this. If you're saved, it's going to look like this. He's not trying to weed out the bad people. That sounds bad. But like he's not trying to weed out the unsaved. He's not trying to, to get all the unsaved people out of the church. He's trying to encourage those who are saved that are in the church that they are saved. And he's like, this is what it looks like. And I believe, and he said this over and over again, I believe that you guys are saved. I think I said that last week about this church. Like, I believe that most of us in this room are saved. So these things that we're reading in, in, in 1 John are not meant to make us doubt our salvation. They're meant for us to like feel super confident and, and, and comfortable that, yes, we are in fact saved. Because then when he speaks all this truth about endurance, or he speaks all this truth about, about setting aside, putting away all the things that we've, we've done in the past that are sinful... Or when he says these things like, these are the good things that you should be doing as a believer, we shouldn't feel defeated and, and unsaved. We should instead be like, oh, that's, that's me. I should do those things. Or I should not do those sinful things. Whatever that may look like. And so keep in mind that this message is a message of encouragement for the church. So we're going to pick up in 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 18, and I'm just going to kind of start and stop. I just told Dad just to leave up verses on the screen wherever I stop, because I'll probably just stop and talk for a few minutes about each verse kind of as we go through here today. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, know that it is the last hour. I'm going to stop right there. You're like, that has nothing to do with endurance. It will, I promise. That has nothing to do with any of this setup that you've already done. It will. I want us to first establish what it is that John's going to be talking about that's going to lead to the discussion of endurance. That's going to lead to the discussion of perseverance. It's going to lead to the discussion of continuing on. 
And the first thing that he's reminding the church of is that we are in the last hour. You have probably heard somebody, especially if you grew up in the South, because for some reason this is just something that people in the South say a lot. You know, Jesus come back. He'd come back in my lifetime. I know this. You've heard this. You've probably heard it with that inflection. If you're me, you've heard it with that inflection. Like, like he's come back soon. I can just tell. It's real bad. Jesus come back. This is gonna be, he's going he's gonna to come back in my lifetime. Well, here's the thing. John wrote this like 2,000 years ago, and he was already saying, we are in the last days. So, so what is he talking about here? Because I think we can't read these verses and not have a little bit of a discussion of eschatology. And by eschatology, I mean, like, what's going to happen at the end? What, like, a lot of times when we talk eschatology, we're thinking, oh, we should go read some Revelation, and that's going to tell us about what's still to come, all this prophecy. And we could do that, but I want us to focus... I want us to focus on what John is getting at when he's telling the church, we are in the last hours. It is the last hour. So there are a bunch of different ways that people um, kind of view the end times. Some people take Revelation and read it very literally as there's going to be this literal seven-year period that's going to come up here and and all these specific things are going to play out. Uh, But before that happens, Jesus is going to come back, take the church out, if you've read the Left Behind series, some of us have done that. That's kind of the view that that book, that that book series kind of taught through. Um, that's, the, that's the way that I was raised. I mean, that's like the upbringing that I have. But, but that would mean that the last hour would come right as Jesus was coming, and then there would be this period of time, and then there'd be this millennium afterwards. Very techni- technical kind of stuff. I don't really want to get too heavily into that. Because that doesn't seem to be what John is talking about here. Because if he was saying, we're in the last hour then Jesus would have already been back, and we wouldn't even be here right now. So what is it that he's talking about? There's this other view of kind of the end times, where after Jesus left, there's now this this period, until he returns, uh, where the church is kind of the, the dominant force that God is using to accomplish his will on earth. When Jesus left, he left, he left the church in the hands of the apostles, and he said, go out and make disciples. And since then, that's what the church has been doing. That's what's led to us being here, and that's the same mission that we've been given here at CRC. It's the same mission that was given to the apostles. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to do all the things that I have told you to do. Like, like that great commission is still true of us. And there's this whole period of, of time between when Christ left and when Christ is going to come back. And I think what John is talking about here, and a lot of people uh, whose names I won't mention, I'll just take credit for saying this is all my idea, but there are a lot of other people that I've read, that I read and getting ready for this, that have said, that said, we live in this, this kind of end time age. Like, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it, you can call it this, this amillennial period. You can call it this church age. You can call it this big gap between when Jesus is left and when Jesus is coming back. But essentially what John is talking about here is, can't spoil that movie. It's too new. We're in the end game now. Like, once Jesus left, this is it. This is, this is, this is the mission of the church until he comes back. Because when he comes back, that's it. And so what John is saying is, you've heard, all of these, you've heard all of this prophecy. And we can talk about all of the different prophecies. Daniel chapter 9 talks about the idea of Antichrist. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 calls him the man of lawlessness. There, there's all of this talk of this idea of an Antichrist, this, this, this oppositional force who is opposed to Jesus, who's fighting against the truth of the gospel. 
And what John is saying is, that is true. We see that now. And, and I don't know about you guys, but we still see that now. We still see that today, present day. And we've seen different voices of opposition to Jesus throughout history since Jesus left. And so what John is trying to talk about is, now that Jesus is gone and before he comes back, this oppositional force, this, this group of the, 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 this, 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 this evil is going to be speaking out against the truth of who Jesus is. And the church needs to be aware that we're kind of in the end game. Like, this is it. Like, he's done all that he, is, he has to do to make a way for us to be saved. And now it's in the hands of the church to carry out the Great Commission. To kind of carry that mission forward until Jesus comes back. And, and along the way, there is going to be opposition that you will be facing. And he's going to talk a little bit about what this idea of the Antichrist is. So let's go ahead and keep reading. I just wanted to kind of establish what, when, when we're talking about we're in the last hour, that, that we're in the same last hour now that John was talking about back then. Uh, when, when Peter was preaching uh, his sermon at Pentecost, he was quoting the prophet Joel who said, uh, your, your old men will dream dreams and your young men will prophesy. And, and he's talking about and then Peter says, you're seeing this fulfilled in front of you right now. Like all of these things that we thought were end times prophecy, Christ coming back, end of the world sort of things. He's saying, we're in that period now. If you're wanting to go back and read the, that section from Peter, that's in Acts chapter 2. If you want to write that down, you can go back and read Peter's sermon. He talks about how we're kind of in this era now. We're in this world now where, where opposition to Jesus is going to be constantly fought against us. But, but this is part of what has to happen before the end. So let's go ahead and pick back up in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, so John starts, he wants us to know that it is the last hour. Verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But... You have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write you to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you, have, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. We'll stop there. So, so here's the thing. He's saying, you've got these people, and, and it's interesting, he's pointing out th this idea, this oppositional voice, these people who are, who are, who are kind of I guess, propelling the mission forward in that they're bringing about opposition that we, as the church, then have to respond to are coming out from within the church. 
And so I don't want, and, I, and I've said this a couple of times, I don't want, as we're going through these kinds of verses, if you are unsaved, I don't want you to think, oh, he's just out to try to weed me out because he wants me gone. I'm not in Christ, so he's trying, to, he's trying to tell me I should not be here. He's trying to out me as unsaved. Now, part of that would be true. I, am, I want you to realize that you are unsaved, but not because I want you not to be here, but because I want you to be saved. I want, you to, I want you to realize what the difference is between saved and unsaved, and I want you to appreciate the gravity of the state that you are currently in. And I want you to know Jesus, and I want you to be saved, and I want you to be pursuing him. But, but the purpose of reading these verses isn't to, to preach at those who are unsaved and say, hey, you're unsaved, get out of here. We're trying to identify you so that we can, we can like, you know, put like a red sticker on your shoulder or something so that we can identify. Okay, that's one of the antichrists. Stay away. That's not the purpose. That's not what we're trying to do. He's trying to point out that the people who are now in opposition to the church came from within. And that they weren't actively trying to oppose Jesus. It wasn't like they were trying to say, Jesus is terrible. But what they were trying to do was redefine who Jesus is. They were trying to, I guess, muddy up our understanding of who Jesus is and what his purpose was. He says this in... Let's go back to... Verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Oh, it's verse 22 right before that. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. So what they were trying to do wasn't trying to say this whole idea, this whole religion, this whole thing that we're all gathered together is awful. What they were trying to do is just kind of say, you know, maybe Jesus isn't exactly who that these guys are teaching you he is. Maybe he's not, maybe he's not all God. Maybe he's not, maybe he wasn't fully human. We've talked about some of these different things that John has been kind of speaking out against. And there are a bunch of different versions of Jesus that were being taught in the world at this time. Maybe he wasn't fully God. Maybe he wasn't fully human. Maybe he wasn't fully good. Maybe. Maybe the things that maybe he didn't really die, you know, we, these things that we still try to, I guess, look back and try to understand now, these things where we say, was Jesus really dead? Did he really come back to life? These kinds of discussions that we still have today are discussions that they were still having even then. And from within the church, people were not actively fighting against Jesus in kind of this overt sense of saying, this is all awful, but they were just kind of redefining who he was misinterpreting what Scripture said about him, making it, making it sound a little bit different, maybe making it sound a little bit easier, a little bit more comfortable, maybe making it something that was a little bit more appealing to us. There are lots of different ways that we see people try to redefine who Jesus is, right? There are lots of different ways that people try to redefine what the Bible actually means. Oh, it's, it's a good book that has some good things to say, but it's not 100% true or 100% inspired by God, who's not really the creator of everything, but it's a good idea that we can kind of, we can kind of hold on to and it'll make us feel better about ourselves. 
You know, there are lots of different ways that we can we can take the things that we as the church believe and people can kind of modify them, shape them, mold them a little bit to make them make them sound truthy, but it's not the truth. And more than anything else, if, if there's anything else that you should take away from this today is that whatever this book says is true, and we believe it. It is our standard. We want you to, to hear the words that we're saying and believe them because not, not because it's Tanner's opinion or Caleb's opinion or whoever up, is up here speaking on our behalf that's saying something. We don't want you to say, oh, it's true because this person says it's true. We want you to believe the words we're saying because, because we're being led by the Holy Spirit and we're reading the words that were inspired by God. Because this is our authority. So anything that we say is true because these words are true and we firmly believe that these words are true. So what, it wants, so what John's really wanting to try to do here, and you can look back to verse 19. Look at how many times he goes back and forth between saying they and us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. He's really trying to set up this contrast between these two words. He wants you to realize that, that people who are not fully immersed, fully fully submitted to the authority of Scripture, that the, the message that they're bringing is not the same message. Even if it's similar, even if there are good points that sound kind of logical within the things that they're saying, even if they hold on to some of the truth but they throw out parts of it, they're not, they're not of us. They're, they're teaching a different gospel. And he wants the church to realize there are those who are among you that are taking words that are true and found in Scripture, and they're saying them to you, but they're saying them while under, like undergirding, while taking away some of the truth of the rest of the Scripture. They're saying, this part sounds good. This is a good, this is a good, live by this. This sounds good, but don't submit yourself to Jesus. Or whatever that may be. We see this a lot. Even within the church, we still see this. There are those who preach a watered-down, safe, make-you-feel-good version of the gospel that does not address sin, that does not address the fact that we are wicked and cannot save ourselves, that teach that God is only this, this loving, giving, want-to-make-you-comfortable-and-happy God, not a God who's going to challenge you by putting you through difficult times so that you would realize your need to rely on Him. But they read a couple of verses out of the Bible when they're saying it, and you're like, oh, this must be the Word of God. This is truth. But it's not. If it's not, if it's not fully immersed in the Word of God and, and submitted to every single word that's in this book, it's not of us. We submit to this whole book. And so he keeps reminding him, there are people within your church right now, and there may be people in this room right now, I don't know, who will fall away, who will leave. But this is an important thing, and this, is, this has been a debated thing in the church since Christ left the church here on earth to be kind of his vessel for carrying out his mission. This idea of, 
So does that mean that you can lose your salvation? Does that mean that if you're saved, you're a part of the church, and then you, you can leave, and you can, you, can, you can give up your salvation, you kind of, you know, let go of all of that, and just be, be finished with it? Um, I don't think that's the case. And I think that, that John makes that point very clearly here, because he says, they weren't of us, or they would have continued with us. And this is where we come back to this idea of perseverance. If, if somebody is able to walk away from this faith, if somebody is able to walk away and leave the church forever, what John is saying is they are able to do that because they were never part of us. They, if there's a they group and an us group, they were in the they group, not the us group. Because if you were with us, you would have endured. Just like I said at the very beginning with like parenting or, or running or whatever the thing is that you do, that, that is part of who you are, you are only that because you endure in it. If you give up on it, then you are never really that. If you are saved, if you are in the church, you will endure in your faith. This is an encouraging idea. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean uh, you're not going to sin anymore. Yay, you've been saved, now you're never going to mess up again. And it doesn't mean that if you do sin that you're out until you get forgiveness. We're, we're not, that's not the way we teach forgiveness. That's a different group. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it does mean that at your core, you have been given a new heart. You have been given a new set of motivations. You've been given a new set of desires. You've been given new understanding to what, what sin is and what things you should not be doing. All of those things that John has already been talking about, that we won't continue in sin if we are saved. All of these things are representative. They are true of people who are saved, of people who are in Christ. And if someone is able to leave, if somebody is able to walk away from this, then it is be, not because they have given up on their salvation or they have done something and walked away. It is because they were never actually saved in the first place. That is the point that John is trying to make. And I think it's an important point because I think we as the church sometimes need to be reminded if we've been saved that we're still saved. If you have been given this new heart, you need to understand and appreciate what that means. It means that God's not going to let you go, even if you have, have gone off and wandered away, right? I mean, I think back, like, story of the prodigal son, right? Ridiculous, like, teenage boy, because boys are ridiculous and get all kinds of ideas. I'm going to go do this great thing. I got this great idea. I wish, Dad, that you were dead so I could have all my money. I'm going to go off and I'm going to go do whatever I want. Right? Hits rock bottom, realizes all that he had and all that he has now lost and says, man, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to talk to Dad and I know I can't be his son anymore because I've, I've, I've botched that. That's over. No more chance that I can go back and just be his kid anymore. So we'll just go back and maybe I can be a servant or something like that. Maybe I can have a new sort of relationship with him. But he goes back and what does his dad do? He runs up and he throws his arms around him and he kind of restores him back to who he was because he never, he never stopped being his son even though he wandered off for a while. The father still knew this is my son. 
right? And there will be times in all of our lives, I would imagine, where we wander off, where we might not be heard from for a little while, or where we disappear, or where we go off into some sort of sin. And if you are saved, you are still saved even in that. I'm not trying, this is not license to sin time. Because the idea of license to sin comes from a heart that is not pursuing Jesus. The idea of, I'm going to go do whatever I want, and I'm just going to keep doing it because, ah, God will eventually forgive me. That, That doesn't fully understand and respect what the gospel is. But I think it's worth knowing, and I think what John is trying to encourage the church in is that if you are saved, you will endure because you get this. You've heard this. So even if you have wandered off, you still, you still can come back, and you are still his son. And then he also says, for those of us who are in the church, be aware that these people are there. Be aware that people are trying to misinterpret and, and shift and change what, what the gospel message is and who Jesus is. Know this. Don't be distracted by it. Don't be carried off by it. Right? And then, he, and then he hits them with this last section. I'll read it again. It starts in verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So what John is saying, he's saying, you don't need somebody else to come with some sort of extra revelation. He's not trying to say that teaching is a bad thing because he's actively teaching. So I don't want you to read that verse and think, well, then why am I listening to this guy? Because that's not the point that he's trying to make. He's not trying to say you don't, like, like that teaching is bad, but what he's saying is you don't need somebody to come up and say, yeah, this book is great, but I have this extra revelation. I have this extra understanding. Let me, let me kind of complete your understanding of what this book actually means, and then let me teach you something that maybe this book doesn't actually say. That's what he's actively fighting against. That's what he's actively teaching against, because that's what these people from within the church were doing. They were saying, okay, so we've got this teaching about Jesus but let's add this in here. Let's talk about this. Let's let's shift the way that we're understanding this. Or maybe we don't really need this. Oh, I understand now. These these pages right here, we can just throw those out. We don't need those anymore. That's what they were fighting against. That's what they were facing. And so what John is saying is you don't need a teacher in the sense that you don't need somebody else to come along and complete Scripture for you because Scripture's good just like it is. And you've got the Holy Spirit abiding in you that's going to help you understand what the words of Scripture on, what the words of Scripture are saying. True believers have everything that they need in the Scriptures and in the Holy Spirit. And again, that's why I think we should be you you should feel confident in the things that you hear at CRC specifically because. I genuinely believe that Caleb is teaching by the power of the Holy Spirit and he's reading the words of Scripture and those are the things that he's trying to teach. And that's where I am too. It's like, this is our standard and the Holy Spirit is giving us understanding. Yes, we go study other things, but we read commentaries, but 
ultimate authority is there. I'm not going out and saying, all right, this week for scripture memorization, we're going to memorize this commentary that was written by Daniel Aiken, who's a professor at this seminary. Like, we don't, we don't hold that writing in the same esteem that we hold scripture. So, the call is to love the word of God and trust the word of God and to endure in the faith. And as you endure, let that be a thing that continues to build confidence that his salvation has worked itself out in you. Because that is an amazing feeling when you get to this realization that, wow, I'm saved, he is not leaving me. And I can stick this, and I'm going to stick this out. We don't have to have this fear, oh, what if I do this, or what if I, what if I fall away, or what if I... He's got you firmly in his grasp, and he's not going to let you go. So there will be lots of voices of opposition that you will hear inside and outside the church, right? And that will continue. That, has, that, has start, that started 2,000 years ago when John basically said, we're in the end game now. Like, now that Christ is gone, this is it. We're in this now. From here till he comes back, we're going to be facing this opposition. But if, if you have the Holy Spirit in you and you have the word of God, you have all that you need to endure it. So let's pray.